0: In Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. I'm back. Um, welcome. Good morning. Hey, it's great to see you. And if you are a guest with us, um, thanks so much for being here again. Um, it's our joy to have you. As we worship together and as we continue to walk through our series in Philippians, uh, my name is Drew, i the pastor of Discipleship. Um, and as we start this morning, I want to take us back to childhood a little bit, specifically to kindergarten. Uh, this is where I started my education, kindergarten. Didn't go to preschool. Don't know if we had preschools, probably, but didn't go. Um, Do you remember your kindergarten teacher's name? Um, I do, you probably do as well. My teacher's name was Miss Owsley. At the time, I thought she was about 80 years old. Come to find out, she was about 35. Um, But five-year-olds don't track age that well. Um, Yeah, five years old at Blue Ridge Elementary, I loved kindergarten. I remember things from it. This is where I learned to tie my shoes. This is where I learned the joy of recess, um, the art of making applesauce, Um, It's not where I learned to read, but that's for a different time and place. Um, This was the best of times for a five-year-old stepping out into the world, right? Kindergarten. Now, imagine that you're my parents, and as we reach the end of that year, and as we see first grade up ahead, I just say, you know what? Nah, I think I'm good. (laughs) Like, I think I'm good with this. I've kind of got this down, right? Right? I feel really comfortable here. I don't really think I want to move forward in this. Now, you would say, hey, that's crazy. You can't just stay here. You can't just keep doing kindergarten. Like, there's so much to learn and, and to grow in, and there's so much ahead. And yet, it's easy, easier than we think, for us to do this when it comes to Jesus in our faith. To have this sort of Peter Pan type syndrome, or to simply misunderstand what this Christian life is really all about. And Paul, in this passage today, what he's going to do is he's going to encourage and he's going to challenge us not to get distracted, not to grow stagnant, not to become confused or too comfortable in our faith or even in the world in which we live out our faith. But even more than that, he's going to encourage us to press on and he's going to show us exactly what that means. So let me pray for us and then we'll walk through this together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage. Would you find each of us where we are this morning, no matter our age, no matter what we came in with, no matter where we are or not on this faith journey. Thank you for your goodness, your love, your kindness, and your grace. Would you lead us now during this time by the power of the Holy Spirit, through your word, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's start here. Philippians 3. We're going to start in verse 12 today. Here's what it says. Paul speaking, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So we should pause there and we should say, okay, what's Paul talking about here? Well, if you look at the previous passage that we actually looked at last week, it makes it really clear. He's pressing on to gain Christ, to be found in him, but even more than that, to experience the fullness of knowing Christ. For Paul, Christ has become the very center of his life to the point that he would say, everything else I've done up to this point, all of my accomplishments are completely worthless compared to the beauty of knowing Christ and pressing onward into the fullness of knowing him and becoming more like him. This is what he's living for. This is what he's pressing toward. But Paul also is very clear This is so important. That the only way he's able to pursue Christ is because Christ has first pursued him. It's not anything Paul did. It's because Christ had first pursued him. Everything that follows is born out of this reality. Everything that goes before is born out of this reality. Everything we see in scripture, in the gospel, is born out of this reality and hinges on this one truth that Christ has made me his own. And because everything hinges on what Christ has already done, it allows Paul to do something. It allows him to be honest. It allows him to be honest. He says, hey, I haven't uh, obtained it. I'm not perfect. I'm in process, but I don't have it all figured out. In fact, he says, let me double down on this honesty. The only reason that I have security and am in the journey at all is Jesus isn't this nice to hear from the greatest missionary of all time? (laughs) To me, it's encouraging for Paul to say, look, I don't have it all together. I'm still in process here. And so this is a great place for us to start, no matter who you are, no matter where you are this morning in your faith journey, whether you're on the outside looking in and you're curious about it, whether you've been a Christian for X number of years, whether you're in uh, elementary, junior high, high school today, uh, wherever you are, honesty is a great place to start. In fact, I would argue that honesty and being continually honest is one of the first signs of a growing faith. Paul does this here, and he does it in other places as well. Like when he says, hey, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Like I, sometimes I'm on the struggle bus. Like sometimes I really struggle with this. But I am on the path. You see, we're all in different places when it comes to our relationship with Christ this morning. We're all in different places on this faith journey. My question for us would be, where are you? Honestly, where are you? And I would challenge you right off the bat, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Because it can be so defeating. They seem like they're miles ahead. I don't know if I could ever really get there. Like they say, "Ah, maybe I should just throw in the towel, right? No, don't do that at all. Jesus knows exactly where you are. He'll meet you exactly where you are. Maybe some of you would say, I'm newer to the faith, but I'm not really sure how this all works out. Thanks for being honest. Let's walk this out with you. Some might say, I've sort of become stagnant. I know Christ, but I'm not really, I don't feel like I'm really getting to know him more. You might say, I feel like I'm growing, and I also see some areas where I'm struggling where I want to grow more. Or maybe you would say, I want to pursue Christ. I, I, I want to do that, but I feel conflicted. Maybe I even have some doubts. Or maybe you'd say, I feel like there's some competing priorities that are really making this difficult. Because Paul is secure in Christ, he can be honest with God and others, and we can do the exact same. He continues in this by saying, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. Haven't reached the end yet. Not perfect in this. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I don't consider that I've made it my own. What exactly does Paul mean here? Well, he's obviously not talking about a relationship with Jesus because it's clear that he has that. And to the church that he's writing to, they have this relationship as well. So what does he mean? Well, these next words actually make it really clear. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And this is so often misinterpreted. On the surface, we can look at this and we can say, well, maybe Paul's talking about his past, right? He's encouraging people to leave their past behind, to leave their sin behind, their mistakes, who you were before Jesus, and just to move forward. But that's not actually the point that Paul's making here. Check out Hebrews 6.1. It uses the same language and it makes it so clear. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on toward, and this is a big word for us today, maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance. There can be this false idea that we've been told or that we buy into or that we live out that faith actually sort of just begins and ends with salvation. And that's not it. That okay, that whole separation from God thing has been taken care of through Jesus and I'm good on that. So let me put that on the shelf and now I'm gonna pursue all of these other things with the time that I have left on this earth. And Paul would say, hey, 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 that's not it. That's not it. He tries to bring it back around here, right? Philippi, the church that he's writing to, was a young church, and it faced incredible cultural pressure inside of this Roman province. And so Paul's saying, hey, you haven't just been saved from something, you've been saved to something. It's time for us to grow up. (laughs) It's time for us to keep pressing forward, to mature, to move past just that point of salvation, and to keep growing, also known as sanctification big word. Let's knock the three of them out right now. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Paul's made it clear, I'm justified because of Jesus. Because of the finished work of the cross, I'm justified before God. Great news for us. We're absolutely secure in Christ, not in your accomplishments, not in anything you're going to do tomorrow to try to measure up or any of that. Not good works, because what Christ has done, you are justified. And so we are now in this process called sanctification, where we are seeking, and God is seeking to make us more like himself, like Jesus. And there's a tension in this process, and this can be challenging. And Christ is going to come, in, come again, and he's going to take us, and we're actually going to be glorified, reach this glorified state where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more hard things, no more rebellion, all of that. But we get new bodies, and we're with Jesus full time, and it's awesome. But right now, we're in this tension of sanctification, And this can feel really defeating at times, especially when you mess up, especially when you fall into sin, especially when you keep struggling with these same things. And you're like, what in the world's going on here? We can buy into this idea that becoming more like Jesus looks like this. And each and every day, we sort of climb that hill. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm becoming more like Jesus. Paul Zoll, a theologian and pastor in this book that I love, called Grace in Practice, says sanctification, becoming more like Christ is not like this. You know what it's more like? It's like a roller coaster of loops and dips and ups and downs and all over the place. Some days are difficult. Some days are hard. Some days you feel like you're falling backwards. Some days you're derailed. Some days you're like, I don't know if I want anything to do with this. Some days you have doubts. Other days you're sprinting forward and you're growing and it's beautiful and it's amazing. It's all over the place. And yet God is faithfully walking with you through it all, trying to make you more like him. And so let me just encourage you, don't throw in the towel. No matter where you are today, in answering that honest question, don't throw in the towel. But would you look ahead to what Jesus has for you? So in this, how, do we, how does this process of sanctification, what does it look like? It looks like this. Paul uses this intentional word, straining. I strain meaning to reach with everything I have. It's this imagery here of a runner pushing forward, seeing the finish line, giving everything that they have, fully committed to seeing it through no matter what. No matter what distractions, no matter what roadblocks, no matter what the cost. And herein lies the tension for each and every one of us. In our culture, we don't like to fully commit to anything. I'm not even yet committed to what I'm going to eat for lunch today. And probably neither are you. And we've been fed this idea that it's okay to just partially commit to a lot of things and to run in certain directions whenever it meets our desire at that time. And don't for a minute think that this hasn't made its way into the church, especially the church in America. For fear of offending, not wanting to confront people, becoming increasingly unpopular to society— having less people possibly show up to church, pockets of the big C church have watered down, misinterpreted, and avoided challenging its people to the true call of Christ, which does come with a cost. In order to appease and placate, we've chosen to make the Christian faith less of a strain and more of a gentle Sunday jog filled with incentives and promise of prosperity. And it's not okay. And it's not loving. It's actually cruel. Because it's misleading. And it will stunt your growth as a believer. And it forces us to ask this question Would we rather be appeased or would we rather grow? Because growth can be challenging. And it's beautiful, but it can be challenging. It's what the great German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer refers to as cheap grace. He says this, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's communion without confession. It's grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. It's grace without Jesus Christ. Costly grace is the gospel. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. This past Wednesday, several of you showed up. We had a beautiful service, Ash Wednesday service. The whole intent of the Ash Wednesday service is to reflect and to sit with the weight of our sin and to realize what it costs Christ. And guess what? Regardless of what culture will ever say to you, it's actually good to sit with that weight because it prevents grace from becoming cheap. And it prevents us from being so tempted to wander and run in so many different directions on so many different paths other than the one Christ has set before us. And so we strain, and this is how we grow. And that's why Paul says, I press on toward the goal or the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if, any, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us who hold true, only let us hold true to what we have attained. You will be tempted, and you know this, each and every day to strain toward a lot of things. Some of those good, some of those not good. But what Paul makes clear is that the ultimate prize is not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's not your career. It's not money. It's not status. It's not health. It's not knowledge. It's not pleasure. It's not comfort. It's not security. It's not that some of these things aren't good and important. It's that everything needs to find its rightful place in the believer's life under the ultimate prize, which is what? To know and experience the fullness of Christ and to become more like him. The prize is Jesus. What an amazing prize that is. And here's the problem with pursuing so many different things as the big thing or as the main thing. We end up becoming lost, confused, frustrated, and worn out because we're running in so many different directions and our heart is constantly conflicted. The beauty of Christ being at the center is if he's at the center of your life, it will pour out into all of those other important areas. It will greatly affect as you mature the way that you love and treat your spouse, your kids, think about your career, think about finances, make decisions. I will tell you this without hesitation. Straining toward Jesus is not the easy road, but the destination is unmatched and it's worth it. And there's no one offering you what Jesus offers you. Paul says that the mature believer understands this. And if you don't, and you're pursuing other things because of the grace and goodness of God to his kids, even his wayward kids like me, he'll make it clear to you because of the spirit within you as you grow. Also known as discipleship. The means by which those who pursue Christ become mature in Christ. And let's just define this and make it abundantly clear. A disciple, someone who seeks to follow, love, serve, and obey Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so how does this happen? Through discipleship, through gospel-centered, grace and truth transferred and applied through relationships, meaning you can't do it on your own. Don't believe the lie that you can do it on your own. This is where community comes in. Paul even changes his language in just a second to communal language because he knows this and understands this and he wants the church to do the same. This is why we have study groups, new ones starting up, go sign up in the lobby, great place to learn and grow, right? This is why we have life groups, not just so we can get together and hang out. In fact, if you just wanna get together and hang out, you could have way more fun in other organizations doing that. I'll just be honest because it's going to be kind of messy inside of the church because we're imperfect people that are still in process. But it's a beautiful opportunity for us to strain together, to grow in our understanding of the Bible, to grow in our biblical literacy, to grow in our convictions, to grow in understanding the fullness of Christ and the love that he has for us, and in turn, the way that we are supposed to love and care for and press on with one another. And it's a beautiful thing. That's what Paul's getting at here. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, when Paul says, imitate me here, that's a bold statement. (laughs) That is a bold statement. Um, And it comes with a ton of weight. I can count on my hand the number of people or less that I would feel comfortable making this statement. Right? Hey, imitate me. It's like, oh, I don't know about this. Right? Right? But this isn't about, and we have to understand this, when Paul says this, this isn't about tying your faith to a human. In fact, that is so dangerous. I've never talked about this before in a sermon. I'm going to talk about it today because it's absolutely applicable. Laura and I moved to Seattle in 2012 to join a church at that time called Mars Hill Church. It was one of the largest, fastest growing churches in America, 20,000 plus people. And at the age of 28, I took the role of lead pastor at the University District Church. And then about two years in, things went completely sideways and derailed with the leadership. Absolutely sideways. And after that wrapped up, and I resigned from that church, I co-planted a church, and I did triage, spiritual triage, off and on for the next few years. Why? Because in large part, so many people had attached their faith to an imperfect celebrity pastor who misused his authority and refused to repent and it was painstaking to see and to walk through hundreds of hours of counseling with individuals to try to help put back together the faith. Let me just make this so clear. Pastors and Christian leaders were never meant to be celebrities, (laughs) but are called to be servants, to actually become a lower, to raise Christ higher. There's only one deserving of a platform and his name is Jesus and he's on it. And if God allows you or any of us to have any influence whatsoever, we should immediately be pointing people not to me, not to you, but to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And even if we don't invite people into this to follow us, guess what? People are watching you in your faith, your kids, your spouse, the people in your community with. And so it should lead us to grow in our maturity and to grow in this awareness And to further press in and rely on the spirit. That's why Paul is able to say this because with all humility, his life was no longer about him. And he's made that clear. He's saying, imitate me because in imitating him, he is seeking with everything that he has to imitate Christ and to reflect him immediately. That's what's so beautiful here that Paul is leading with all humility and he says, keep your eyes on those who walk in the same way. No matter where you are in your faith, look for other believers around you. And I would encourage you, those who are more seasoned and mature in the faith and see how they're living, see how, what they're doing, see how they are straining. And this is true, especially if you're newer in the faith. And we can help you do this. We can help connect you with others, connect you with groups where you can learn from and grow with others who have been on this faith journey as you enter this faith journey. Here, here's the deal. Look for the Jim and Kathy Amendolias of the church. And I don't say, I got in so much trouble in the nine for saying this. I said, not because of their age. Hey, not saying they're old at all, but I'm not telling you to look at them because of their age. Here's the deal. But because of the faithfulness, which is evident in which they are walking out their life and their faith and straining toward Jesus. Oswald Chambers says it so beautifully. He says, spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of years but by obedience to the will of God. Maturing in the faith, it's not about biblical knowledge. That doesn't equal maturity. Church attendance doesn't equal maturity. Age doesn't equal maturity. The way you dress doesn't equal maturity. The way you talk doesn't equal, well, sometimes it does, maturity. (laughs) Seminary degrees, they don't equal maturity. What does? Growing in humility growing in the fruits of the spirit, increasing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, motivated and enacted by the grace of Jesus alone and becoming more like him. This is maturity. And why is this all so important that Paul would even write about this or make it a big deal? Because he knows that if you, the church, if we are not pursuing Christ, we're gonna be pursuing something else. That's why he says this. For many of you, Whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And I love the way the message says this, and so I'm just gonna read this for you. It says, There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times, and sadly, I have to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross, but Easy Street is a dead end street. Paul says, don't go that way, because our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. We'll go from sanctification to glorification. No more pain, no more straining, no more hard, no more difficult, no more abuse, no more sin, no more going the wrong way, no more self-doubt, no more condemnation, no more self-shame. Only Jesus, only glory, only perfection. Where we're headed. Beautiful destination, church. Our citizenship is here in Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, for my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. What Paul is saying in Christ, you have a new identity and you have a new purpose. So don't get distracted. Don't follow the crowd. Know that this is not your true home. Your true home is with Jesus and his people He's already reached out for you and he's made it possible to reach him. Jesus could have had political success. He could have had status. He could have had money. He could have had a wife. He could have had kids. And instead he was homeless and ridiculed. Instead of bending to an easier path or choosing cultural correctness, he chose the upward call of the father's will. He was despised, betrayed, rejected, and put to death for you and for me and for our waywardness and sin. And through his sacrifice, he has promised to bring you, no matter where you are today, if you're secure in Christ, if you know him, not because of what you've done, he's promised to bring you to the end of the race, to carry you home with all of the other saints, the church, this great cloud of witnesses who have gone before and are coming after. By what? By grace that's anything but cheap. We've been circling around two words today, pursue and mature as I think about what Paul's saying here, and I think about these two words, I picture my son Silas trying to learn to ride a bike. And it's been kind of awkward, to be honest. doesn't like this whole pedaling thing. It's like, mm, I just want to go forward. Why doesn't this work? It's like, you got to use your feet, buddy. Eh. But when he does, it's like, oh, here's what this is like. Here's how this makes sense. Pursuing Christ and maturing in Christ are like two wheels on the same bike or two pedals on the same bike that are moving together that are moving together in the same direction, that keep us moving forward in our faith and also keep us from derailing in our faith. And this is really what Paul is saying here, and it's the big idea. Check it out. As you pursue Christ, pressing toward him, you'll mature in Christ as you seek him. As you mature in Christ, you'll continue to pursue Christ. These go together like pedals on a bike. And this isn't something we do alone. And I remember watching this as an eight year old, but I think this is such a beautiful illustration of what we're getting at today. Check out this little video. Thank you. Love this. What you see here in Derek Redmond in these 92 Olympics is this dedication to keep moving forward, to finish this race no matter what. And the other beautiful thing you see is that he doesn't do it alone. His dad comes alongside. The crowd rallies around him to finish this race. Church, we don't do this alone. You don't pursue Christ alone. You don't mature in Christ alone. It's impossible. You need one another. As imperfect as we are, and as we're in different places in this journey, we need one another. Don't go it alone. There is no easier way to get distracted or derailed or grow stagnant in your faith than to try to go it alone. And so how do we apply this? Here's what I would say. Just please hear this. Don't feel defeated. (laughs) Don't feel defeated. Wherever you are in this journey, don't feel defeated. But see, today is an opportunity to not look down in shame, but to look up to Jesus and to see that He's standing there and He's saying, Come toward me. Come toward me. I'm your home. I'm your greatest pursuit. I'm your greatest prize. No matter where you find yourself, would today be maybe for some of taking that first step, or others the next step. But here's the reality none of us have arrived. Paul never arrived, not until he saw Jesus face-to-face in glory. But we are all pressing on together. And we're doing it through the love of Christ, the love of God, and it starts with honesty. And so to have an honest conversation with yourself, with God, and with others, what does it look like to take those first steps? What does it look like to take those next steps? What does it look like to just be honest with where you are and say, God, would you lead me forward? would you show me this next step? There are several means of maturing, but here I think are three of the biggest ones that God gives us. His word, his people, and his spirit. His word, his people, and his spirit. And so as you take the next step toward this, maybe it's opening up the Bible. Maybe I haven't done that in a while. The Bible in one year. Great place to start. There are other ways, other places you can start, but just opening up God's word, seeing what he has for you Maybe you're like, I haven't prayed to God in years. I don't know if I've ever really prayed to God or it's kind of grown stagnant. Would you just talk to him? Would you have a conversation with this friend who gave himself for you? Maybe it's jumping into community. Maybe that's the next step or the first step. Maybe it's joining a group today, signing up for a life group, realizing that you're not meant to go it alone. Maybe it's having to sit with the reality of running multiple paths and needing to actually confess, repent, and then move forward in grace. Maybe it's a realignment of what this life is all about, what it should be all about. What does it look like to take the first step? What does it look like to take the next step? Here's what I want to say just at the very close here. These verses carry weight, but here's the deal. It's good for us to feel that weight and to be challenged. Otherwise we will not grow. Knowing we're secure and loved and that the weight and the challenge come from a place of love and protection from God to his kids. So when, may we press on, may we pursue in that reality. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for meeting us where we are. Thank you for not leaving us where we are. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you that we can know you. Think that we can, thank you that we can grow in you, even when it's hard, even when it's challenging, even when we push back against you, God, thank you for your pursuit, for your love for us. May we be a church that seeks to press on, but also do that with one another. May we not leave others behind in the dust. May we, may we help support and pick up and carry others along the way, centered on Jesus, your life, death, and resurrection, the beauty of your gospel as we press into the fullness of who you are knowing that you are coming for your kids, you are coming for your church to bring into the fullness of what we were always meant to be. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. We pray this in your name. Amen.